Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care is a program of the Avoiding Drugs as Chemical Restraints Consumer Education Campaign, a partnership of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care and AARP Foundation. Join us as we talk with national experts and advocates about strategies you can use in the pursuit of quality long-term care. In this discussion with Steve Levin and Mike Bonamarte of Levin and Perconti Law Firm, we'll talk about what in-person visits mean for family members and loved ones as they enter facilities for the first time in more than six months. We'll also discuss suggestions of what to look for during your visit, questions you should be asking, and what to do if you have concerns about their care. Hi, I'm Lori Smetenko with the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care, and welcome to today's episode of Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care. So the COVID pandemic has significantly impacted residents of long-term care facilities and their families. In March of this year, the federal government ordered long-term care facilities and nursing homes specifically to ban all but essential health care workers from entering. That's meant no access to family members, to friends, to long-term care ombudsmen, or anyone else who um, would not have been entering the facility other than to provide health care services. Limited in-person visits are now beginning in most states, marking the first time that many residents and families have seen each other in more than six months. So as families now are looking to understand what the impact of this lockdown has meant for their loved ones, we thought it would be helpful to offer some suggestions of things to look for, questions to ask when they go back into facilities for the first time. Our special guests today are Steve Levin, founding partner, and Mike Bonamarte, partner at Levin and Percante, a law firm based in Chicago. Steve and Mike have been fighting for nursing home residents and their families for decades. They regularly speak individually and as a pair to trial lawyers and consumers across the country. Steve is a founding member and past chair of the American Association for Justice's Nursing Home Litigation Group and a past chair of the group. Mike is the immediate past chair also of the Nursing Home Litigation Group. Both have handled high-profile nursing home and medical malpractice cases, resulting in several multi-million dollar jury verdicts and settlements. Their passion for representing nursing home residents in the courtroom extends to educating consumers about their rights and how to be a voice for their loved ones in nursing homes. Steve has been a resounding voice during the COVID-19 pandemic, speaking out against immunity orders and legislation proposed by the nursing home industry. And Mike is currently chairing the AAJ Nursing Home Litigation Group's specially formed COVID committee. Mike has also been recently selected to serve on the special committee on racial inequality formed by the Illinois State Bar Association. And he's been tasked with identifying racial disparities in healthcare, including in nursing homes. So, welcome to both of you today. Delighted to have you both here with us. Thank you, Laurie. So, let's get started and talk about what has this visitation ban meant for nursing home residents and their families? What have you been hearing and seeing? Well, we we, uh, obviously were extremely concerned about what's happening, but to put it in a little bit of a framework, Many of us believe that the nursing home system before the pandemic was flawed, if not broken. The stress of the pandemic, as someone had said testifying before Congress, blew the doors off. Yeah. Now we have a situation where they're probably in their most crisis situation and they're 
adding that, uh, add, add the coronavirus onto that, and we were worried about significant problems. Family members, as we know, can't see their loved ones. Ombudsmen can't get in. Regulators aren't getting in. So no one is, is there as the eyes and ears to see what's happening to residents. Not only right. from a reporting point of view, but to help. I mean, family members help when they're there. So now we have an understaffed facility that doesn't have the help of family members, doesn't have the eyes of family members, doesn't have the eyes of ombudsmen and uh, all the people that help advocate on behalf of nursing home residents and their families. That's the situation we find ourselves in. So mm -hmm. then, you know, Mike and I have been talking a lot about how we can give family members or residents uh, a sort of a simple framework to, to frame the questions they want to ask once they get there. Then I think we can talk about what to physically look for, but how to think about it we thought would be helpful. Mike, what, what, what do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I would just add that, you know, before the pandemic, the decision to place a loved one in a nursing home was difficult enough. And in talking to family members uh, and in some situations, residents, I think what's happened is this has created even more anxiety and, and to some extent a feeling of helplessness. So I think the goal of this discussion is to provide them with some ideas about how they can stay involved, uh, questions to ask, things to look for. I think you've raised, um, both of you have raised some really important points. I mean, for most people, placing a loved one in a nursing home is uh, uh, something they do as a last resort when they know the person needs additional care that they're not able to provide at home. But I, I think that it's been really shocking to us how much care families are actually providing in long-term care facilities, which has really been shown by their lack of presence. Um, during this time frame. Um, and so, you know, as we think about uh, what they should be looking for as, though, as they go back in, um, I do think it's important for them to have a framework to think about. So to your point, I had seen a um, e-blast that you sent out to your network, to your clients of things that they can be looking for when they go back in and, and what they should be observing and questions that they can ask. So can you talk a little bit about what some of those things are? Sure, sure, Lori. But before we get directly to that point, I would like to share a simple way that how we look at cases after the problems have become irreversible or tragic. And maybe if using that same method to look at the situation before the problems that can occur, maybe that will be helpful to family members and residents. So we have a, a simple little mantra. The first things nursing homes do is assess residents to determine what they might be at risk for. So if you're now going into the nursing home and seeing your loved one, you, you think to yourself, I know what problems we anticipated could happen. Maybe they were going to get bed sores or pressure ulcers. Maybe they were going to fall. Maybe they were going to be malnourished or dehydrated. So when you get there, you want to see if those issues are, if the nursing home is, is, is addressing that issue, 
And then secondly, assesses the first one, plan. You can ask the staff, you can ask the administrator, you can participate in care conferences, you can go up to corporate if you're not getting answers and say, here's what my loved one is at risk for, what is the plan? And then once you find out the plan, is it turning and repositioning? Is it mattress changes? Is it special attention to nutritional issues if you're de dealing with bed sores? Different strategies if there's a risk of falls. So what is the plan? And then you're entitled to ask, how is it being implemented? How many staff are there? Who is the staff I can go to? If a bad event, an adverse event occurs, who, who was responsible for it? And then evaluate. So if you had an assessment, a plan, and you implement it, and things were still happening that shouldn't happen, like bed sores, like repeated falls, like malnutrition, like dehydration, what's been done? So when you go there as a family member, this is sort of a framework where you can ask these kinds of questions and then it's triggered by specific things that, that it, which I'll summarize in, has something significantly changed? Uh -huh. Their physical condition changed? Has their skin changed? Has their mental status changed? Has the outlook of the facility changed? Is it dirty? And I know, Lori, you were sharing with us before we started uh, some of the things you're hearing from, from family members. And I'd love you to share that because I think anyone who hears those things should share it because then that, mm -hmm. will, that, it, that, that empowers other people and gives other people information as to what to look for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, as uh, you mentioned, I was sharing things that we've been hearing, <clears throat> excuse me, from family members about some of the conditions, about some of the declines in physical um, attributes, um, mental or cognitive decline that they're seeing, and, and even differences in, in conditions in the facility, lack of personal care that's been provided to residents, all of which, you know, family members are very concerned about. They um, hope that their loved ones are receiving the best care possible. And when they do see those um, incidences of decline, they become very concerned about them. Um, Mike, what are you um, seeing um, in facilities and, um, and how are you helping the clients as well talk about what else they need to be looking for or addressing when they go back in? Yeah, so a lot of this, I think, depends on the actual resident's cognitive status and ability to communicate. I think a lot of the things Steve just mentioned are things to be asking the staff and things that the family members can look for when they're able to go to the facility. But the residents in a lot of, uh, a lot of circumstances can be good sources of information and just basic questions that you would probably ask in normal times. How, how do they like it? How's it been over the past several months? What types of activities are they doing with you? Uh, are your needs being met? Is there staff, has there been staff available to answer questions or your needs or responding to call lights? Are they wearing masks? Have you been uh, exposed to other residents that have symptoms of COVID, coughs and things of that nature? So. I mean, obviously that becomes a little bit more difficult depending on the cognitive status of the resident, but I think that the family members really need to 
uh, get as much information out of their loved one as they can, because that may drive a lot of the questions that they ultimately have to address with the with the staff. Mm-hmm. And Steve, what other kinds of things should they be looking for um, when they go back in or even questions that they might even address to staff directly? Well, if, if I could communicate one, one thing in, in this discussion is there are very strong federal and state laws that empower family members to obtain information. And it's different than other healthcare where, you know, we're all, at least I am sometimes a little intimidated when I'm in a healthcare setting to ask too many questions. You certainly don't want to argue, uh, irritate your doctor or, you know, you, you, you feel uneasy doing that. But in, in this sort of setting, in the long-term care setting, setting, the government has already decided we can't 100% trust the healthcare institutions to care for your loved ones. So we're empowering you as family members to ask questions and get information and use that power. The first reaction of people when they see something horrible is going to be anger and outcry and outrage. But what I'm encouraging is you have, a, you have an outlet and it's, it's a federal law and they are obligated to meet with you, whether it's the DON or a staff member or the administrator or someone in the corporation, they are obligated to meet with you where you can ask three questions. What do you think my loved one is most at risk for in this facility? What is your plan and how is that being implemented? And is it working? Because mm-hmm. if you see an indication that something bad is happening, skin alteration, injuries, and if someone is dirty and unkept and they're not attending to personal needs, that is a marker for a much deeper problem. But mm-hmm. you can do that. It's called care conferences, but you can just call them up and say, I want a meeting. And, and, and Lori can, has all the information you possibly can get uh, to, to, to help you address this. And, and I encourage, and maybe Lori, you could share with you if you already have, what would be the single best pamphlet or, or information that you all publish that would help family members. But the concept is, and I'll just say it one more time because it's so important. You have the right as a family member to obtain information about your loved one. And the simple way to think of it is, are they, are they aware of the risks? What is their plan for the risks? And how is that plan being implemented? And is it working? And if not, why? Because uh-huh. what the nursing home will say at the end of the day is, oh, whatever happened was unavoidable. That means it was the resident's fault. It was the aging process. It was an act of God. It was something just happens. That will always be their position, but they can't say that. And the last time I'll say it, if they have an assess, plan, implement it, and evaluate. So don't Uh take that as an answer unless you know, unless they can tell you what they have done. Those are some really important points that you made, Steve. And I think um, something that people need to be reminded of is 
even though we are in a pandemic, people's rights to those things that you're talking about, to proper care, to information, to a proper assessment, implementation of a plan that's been developed to meet their needs, those things are still in effect. That has not been pushed aside just because we're in a pandemic situation. The nursing home still has a responsibility to meet the needs of the individual and to plan for them and to implement that plan just as you're talking about. And you don't have to be in the facility to do that. Obviously, you want to get there and use everything you can to see what's going on for yourself. But you can call them up on the phone and ask them these same questions. And Uh if you don't get the right answers, then there's something else you have to do. But you can ask them, how's it going? And and what are these things, are, are these happening? Assure me, does my mom have any skin alteration? You know, what, what you can see with your own eyes, you can ask on the phone. They may lie, but, you know, it, it, it's going to help. It's going to focus attention on the needs of your loved one if these calls are being made. Absolutely. And the things that you're um, looking for and the questions even that Mike had mentioned before, those are things that certainly when you go back into the facility, you can be asking residents, you can be asking staff. But even if you're not in yet, if, if you haven't been back in, you should be asking those questions of the staff Um, of your family member, your resident, when you talk with them on the phone, or uh, we've even been um, telling people, even if your loved one has a cognitive impairment, for example, and can't communicate with you on video chat, still insist on that video so that you can put your eyes on to the person so that you can see um, what some of the changes might be, um, if any, that they may have been experiencing. Um, what else are you telling your uh, clients and family members to be looking for? Or what are some red flags that you might think people need to look for? I would say, uh, Lori, an unexplained incident. Because uh, along the lines of what Steve is saying, I think I've heard a lot of family members in the past, even before the pandemic, you know, they'll call and they'll say, well, my, my mom or my dad fell. And the nursing home basically gave them the answer that, you know, stuff happens, we did everything we could. And what I would urge family members to do is then get into the, the more detailed or specific questions that Steve just mentioned through polite persistence because stuff happens is not an acceptable answer. If it was a risk that they knew about, if they planned for it, and if they implemented that plan, that's basically what we're looking at after the fact uh, to determine, at least from our perspective, whether you know we can say that this was an avoidable injury, but we start with what, what happened to the person and then we kind of go back in time and Family members probably know more than they think about their loved one's conditions and what uh, what risks uh, they have because of either physical limitations or cognitive limitations. You know, the, 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 the common answer might be your resident fell, your mom or dad fell, you know, she didn't use the call light. Well, that, was that the type of person that you could actually rely on to use the call light? So. Whenever there's an incident really that just 
you know, it doesn't sit well with you or you're not really getting an, a detailed or, or, or cohesive answer to what exactly happened and why it happened, then I think you have to be persistent as a family member. And in addition to talking to the staff, you know, there's also the possibility of talking to the ombudsman, bringing the state into the, the situation, the Department of Public Health, or whoever it is in the state that you're in that regulates nursing homes. In extreme situations with unexplained injuries that are significant, you know, you may consider adult protective services, law enforcement, uh, and obviously an attorney. Those are all options that are available. So knowing all these options, knowing the questions, it's going to do, uh, uh, it's going to help your loved one ultimately. Even when, if you gave me a, a great idea, even when you're talking, if you're at the point where you're talking to an ombudsman and you can ask the ombudsman to ask them, what was the plan? The plan should actually be in writing. So if you have a, you have a loved one who's a fall risk and, the, and who has a, a significantly advanced dementia and the plan says, told resident to use call light, you know that they don't have a plan or you can see things. I mean, and this is a physical document that we see after the fact. It says on one side, resident at risk for something pressure ulcers, malnutrition, then it says interventions. If you have a right to find out what those interventions are, then you will know whether they make sense in the context of your own loved one or not. And these are questions you can help ombudsmen get the answer to. When you allow them to give you generalized responses, it's gonna be difficult to get the specific information that you need. And again, this is something you can do with or without actually being at the facility. And mm -hmm. I, I, think Let me, uh, I was just going to add one specific thing that I have a concern about because of probable lack of staffing that's been going on. There's the obvious physical injuries, broken bones, weight loss, uh, bed sores, things of that nature. But one thing I think people should be on the lookout for because it's something we've dealt with in the past and I fear that maybe it's going on now, change in cognition and, you know, are they using any types of medications as chemical restraints? And because that, that, that happened before and I can only imagine how stressed they are right now that that may be an excuse to abuse a PRN medication like a Haldol or other type of medication for agitation. So. I wouldn't accept a, a significant change in cognition as just, you know, they may write it off as the natural aging process, which it may be, by the way, but I think it's worth, it's worth further investigation and, and, and finding out how frequently they're giving those types of medications. Mm -hmm. And how would, uh, so as people are, you know, observing their loved ones and they're seeing them maybe for the first time, either in person, um, for over months at a time, or or even if they are observing them on a video camera, for example, on a video chat, what are some things that they should be looking for? And and you spoke to the um, 
the antipsychotic medications, Mike, even if like, what are some of the signs that, you know, maybe should cause red flags for people as they're reobserving their loved one and the conditions that they're living in? Confusion, slow speech, they're not recognizing you. They just generally seem out of it as compared to where they were before. Those are the, the obvious ones. And then the the, the real way that I would look at that or, or we would look at that is to be looking at the medication administration records um, from both before and after. Because a lot of people have different medications that can be given on a PRN basis, but that can be really dangerous with certain uh, medications in, in certain situations like what's been going on over the last several months. Mm-hmm. Another uh, uh, resource that I think can be utilized is, Mike once uh, tried a case on this here. If you see something, say something. You know, you, you have the right uh, it, 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 to speak with other family members who are visiting other residents. You have the right, if, if they're willing to, to speak with residents. Keep your eyes open for what's happening with other people and you have the right to inform other families if, if you see something or inform the administration. And as Lori said earlier, not only are we realizing how much care family members provided to their own loved one, but they had a role in caring for other people's loved ones when other people weren't there. There is a formal right that everyone has to be on a residence council, but Sometimes that has a lot of difficulties and that's probably the topic of another podcast. But you can gather together with other residents' families at the community and none of you can be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So communicate, be friendly with them, share issues, share concerns. If you see something that might concern one of their loved ones when, when you're there, you know, ask their permission if you can discuss it with them. And there's strength in numbers and, and there's information gathering in numbers. So there's no reason not to share information that you receive that you think or you suspect could have a negative impact on another resident or, or your own if you're not there in the nursing home. Uh-huh. You know, I just, I just thought of one other thing and, and I think this is important right now I, 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 as Steve was talking, I realized that we haven't just been talking to family members and residents. We've actually got quite a few calls from nurses, from CNAs throughout this uh, pandemic that have expressed their frustration. So if you have, as a family member, a nurse that you've grown close with, you know, talk to them. You'd be surprised. There may be some people that are willing to kind of shed some light as, as to what's been going on over the last six months, because it, we, we truly believe that it's, it's not so much that these healthcare workers aren't doing their best, but they have historically been put in difficult positions that is, has revealed itself in the past, but it's being brought even more to light throughout the last several months. Yeah, that's absolutely true. What's markedly different is the direct care healthcare workers are suffering with COVID the same way residents are. So when people themselves uh, get the, uh, you know, as a result of the nursing home not being prepared, for example, 
to deal with COVID-19, not only were the residents injured and died, but so were the staff. And that has huh. angered the staff and that's different than, than uh, what, what's occurred in the past. But typically, again, using the lawyer approach before problems occur, we always think that care, bad care originates at the top and works their way down. It's, it's not the other way around. So the direct uh -huh. co-workers, you know, who are doing a difficult job for not a lot of pay, uh, are, are sometimes, are should be, hopefully could be your ally, allies. The problem always starts from the top down because there's not enough of them. They don't have the right supplies. They're not adequately trained. They're not adequately paid. And so look for the DON, for the administrator, for the corporate headquarters, even if they sort of try to hide the corporate headquarters. But that's where the problem originates. It's rarely uh, uh, the result of a direct care worker. Uh, maybe, mm -hmm. it is the, it, I shouldn't say rarely, but the situation, if that's what's happening, it's, it's, it's a result of a toleration of something that shouldn't be tolerated from above. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, as we've been thinking and, and, you know, talking about things, there are some, I think, you know, critical things for families to be remembering. One is that um, the rights that have been in place for they and their loved ones all along are still in effect. And they need to remember that they have rights, as you mentioned, Steve, to information, um, to file grievances, to have those grievances heard and responded to by the facility. But they need to really be staying engaged. Um, with what's happening with their loved one and should be asking questions not only of the staff but also of their resident as they're talking with them either virtually or back in person again. And if they do see some red flags or concerns they or think that their care is not being given appropriately or seeing changes in condition, they need to be questioning those things um, with the staff and asking what's been happening um, is the plan being followed? And do they need to make changes to the plan in order to meet the needs of the resident? Would you um, say any other particular points that they need to be following? No, I, I think you've covered it all, but I, it just, it, it, I, I think sometimes when you, you have these conversations, you learn, so I learn something. And I, and I think what's been under underutilized is you don't have to be in the nursing home to get someone on the phone who has to be knowledgeable about the condition of your loved one. And you're entitled to a conversation with that person. And there's no infectious or other disease reason why that can't take place. Now that's not a substitute for seeing your loved one, but it'd certainly be comforting to talk to someone who's intimately familiar with the condition of your loved one like they should be and can answer the questions we discussed in this in, in this in this discussion that we're having. Gloria, I don't know, does everyone know about all the materials your organization has and how easy they are to get? And uh, I think it's so important for you to tell people about that. 
Yeah, thanks so much, Steve. So people can get information on our website at www.theconsumervoice.org. Um, the Consumer Voice is all one word in the URL address. And we have a lot of information on rights, on assessment and care planning, on where to go to find um supports or, or help if you need it, um, as well as contact information for your long-term care ombudsman program um, if you need some additional assistance so people can get that off of our website. Um, so as we're uh, coming to um, the last few minutes of our conversation, you know, as people are going back in, um, Mike, you had mentioned earlier some things that they can be asking that can kind of get at um, from their loved ones what are what has been the impact on them? And, and you um, raised some questions before. Do you want to just tick off a couple of those again that they can be asking their loved one about what are some of uh, what the impact has been for them um, of this pandemic while they've been separated? Sure. Um, I think some of the ones that I, I might be repeating myself, but the questions are sort of basic ones. How do you like it? How has it been since, you know, I haven't been able to come around, I being one of the family members? Are they keeping you engaged in activities? Uh, have you been observing the staff? Have they been wearing masks? Have you been exposed to people with uh, symptoms? Have they tested you for COVID for any reason? I mean, if you think that that information would be shared, but I, I just in case, I think it's worth asking. Um, have they, uh, you know, how have you felt physically? Uh, how have your spirits been? Um, what, what have they been doing to engage the residents and how have they been doing it in a safe manner over the last several months? And then I, I think those are sort of the main ones that'll probably trigger a lot of additional questions. Um, but then it's really when once you get back in, it's a lot of this is your gut. I mean, you you probably visited the place before. You felt it was appropriate. It looked okay. It smelled okay. Has any of that changed based on the observation of the the family member? And I think if so, then that could be cause for concern and and worth uh, getting into with some of the staff and, and your your loved one. You know. Mm -hmm. Mike triggered one additional question because we know uh, this is going to be a defense or an excuse in the future in all our cases. And that is, it's not an unfair question to ask the nursing home. Is there something about COVID or what's happening as a result of COVID that's impacting your ability to, to give care to, to my loved one? Because I'd like to know because maybe I could help. Has COVID handicapped you in some way that my loved one is suffering in particular? And let's address that issue up front so I can have some empowerment, I can have some control, I can decide what if I had, what if anything I can do about it or at least know about it. I think it's a real legitimate question. And, you know, it's just like you're saying to one of your children. I mean, if there's a problem, let me know now. I don't want to hear later that this was preventing something from happening that maybe I could do something about. Tell me right. now. And, and then document. I mean, that's one thing, you know, document these conversations, make notes of them just so 
when you, if you're ever called upon to address it in the future, you have this information handy. Yeah, great, great points for the family members. Um, we certainly are glad to know that families are getting back in to see their loved ones. And um, I think the important, uh, one of the important things um, about today is that people really do need to stay engaged and be observant, ask questions, ask about the implementation of the plans that are being developed. Um, and then, you know, if they are having concerns to raise those with with the staff, with the administrator, if necessary, um, call your ombudsman if you need help. Um, and if you need legal support, call the wonderful folks like um, at Levin and Perconti um, for some assistance as well. Um, so with that, uh, we thank you so much for participating in the conversation today. Really important information for the family members who are listening, even for the ombudsman and who are listening and the residents as well, because um, we know residents um, are getting their own information and listening too, to uh, information about what their rights are and what they can be doing if they need some additional assistance. Um, we'll have more information about this topic posted on our webpage, um, along with the recording of today's podcast, where they can get more information about questions to ask, things to look for. And um, so go to our website at www.theconsumervoice.org for the recording um, and for more information about this topic. And thank you to Steve and Mike for your time today. Thank you, Laurie, for all you do. Appreciate thank it. You, Laurie. Thanks for joining us on Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care. Make sure to visit our website, theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality, where you can subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and find more information about the campaign. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.